everyone and welcome back. I am so blessed to be joined today by Dr. Katerina Lindley, who is a very close colleague that we work with in the ANH International, but she's also become a friend over the last, um, the last couple of years. And I think that um, that's one of the most positive aspects of what's happened to us in, in these trying, challenging years is that we've actually created new families, new communities, new friendships across the boundaries of time and space, really, because Kat is based over in the US. She's Croatian born, she's American trained, and she's a family physician. So that means that she is a conventional medical doctor, but unlike uh, we have in the UK here, she was able to specialize and major in osteopathy. So bringing in all of those um, holistic principles into allopathic medicine. So Kat's a, got a really interesting background and a very unique way of, of, of looking at medicine. She is the operational director of the Glo uh, Global COVID Summit, and you will you will have seen um, some of those broadcasts, I'm sure. Um, she shares that platform with uh, many well-known US doctors as well. And we'll have a link underneath for you to be able to go and have, um, have a look at, uh, at some of the summits that they've done. And she's obviously also on the steering committee of the World Council for Health, and we are one of the founding coalition partners. So we have a joy of working together with Kat on a very regular basis. Kat, welcome. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I really know how busy you are. And um, I would just, before we dive into what I want to talk to you about, could you just talk a little bit about your really unusual training? So I was born, you guys are going to be able to tell that from my accent, I'm not American, right? I was born in Croatia. I left when I was 18. Um, just kind of as the Balkan War was starting, I grew up in communism and, you know, by the grace of uh, God and other things in, in life, I made it to the States and uh, was able to live the American dream, become a physician. When I started looking into, I'm not one of those people who said, oh, I'm going to be a doctor one day. When, you know, you woke up as a child and I'm like, I'm going to go heal the world. I didn't because in communism, you don't really have dreams. You just have these paths that you have to take. So uh, I did not realize until later in life that I've spent most of my life actually, you know, I worked as a nanny in States and UK for a little while. So I've spent my life caring for others. And when I came to the States, it kind of led me to uh, choosing um, medicine as my profession. And what people don't realize in states, we have two pathways. We can go completely allopathic, which is what most physicians in the world are, or we can choose osteopathic medicine. And osteopathic medicine in the states is really a combination of allopathic world and osteopathy. It was founded by A.T. Still, um, and um, from day one in medical school, we were taught the science that all our colleagues in MD schools were taught, and uh, we actually took classes and rotations with some of them later on. But um, one thing that we were taught from day one is that touch the patient. The first uh, class uh, we had, uh, we had like clinical diagnosis, which is, you know, you go through this uh, training on how to actually listen to the heart, to look at the ears and all that. But then the second class that day was uh, manipulation and touching the body and realizing that even with some medical diagnosis, um, our body, musculoskeletal system and muscles and bones 
kind of have a way of expressing themselves and showing those diseases in the way we carry ourselves. So for example, someone who has chronic heart disease or um, high blood pressure is going to have some um, stress points in their body or on the level of uh, kind of T3 to T5, if it's gallbladder, it's T5 to T7. And it's very interesting to actually find the areas of your muscles or bones that actually, if you touch it, they have a tender point there. Obviously, to heal the heart disease, I'm not just going to manipulate the body, but it's interesting to see that our bodies really work um, in a different way. And we were taught from the big, from the beginning not to treat the disease, to treat a human being. And that's kind of how I approach uh, my way in medicine. Um, I don't, obviously, I have all the medications at my tool, all the labs, tests, uh, MRIs uh, that I can use if I need them, but I don't go that way. I try to figure out when person comes in, what are they telling me while we're talking? And um, for those who are in medicine or health health systems, uh, one of the things that we were always taught in our in my school is that you can actually diagnose patients just by talking to them, and uh, physical exam kind of reinforces what you already told because patient tells you the story, patient tells you what's wrong with them, and that's kind of how I approach it back. I approach it back the same way. I try to empower the patient to take a hold of what's going on and take the ownership. And sometimes I help with medication, sometimes it's lifestyle, sometimes it's just very common sense. You know, you know that thing when they say, um, like, it hurts when I do this. Well, the saying is, then don't do that. It's kind yeah. of the same way. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. And you speak my language because obviously I've gone through the fully sort of holistic and integrative route. I've come from complementary and alternative medicine all the way through functional medicine, psychoneuroimmunology. And you realize, um, as you say, people tell you what's wrong, not with their words, but um, with the way they speak, with their somatic body language. And you look at the travesty now of the fact that nobody can get to see their doctor. I mean, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, it's nigh impossible to see your GP now. So much is done over the telephone. There's not even a, a video screen. And how, how does diagnosis happen when you can't actually have a human interaction? Yeah, I think uh, it's, medicine has become really um, a farce and I find it very disheartening what uh, some of my colleagues are allowing. In the United States, you can go see a doctor now, but it took a while. Uh, I'm not even sure how long because for me, I've never stopped seeing my patients. I did it throughout the pandemic, even early days. So it was never an issue for me, but um, it might've taken about a year. I, I can't really tell you, but honestly, you cannot diagnose patients. Sure, uh, there's a disclaimer. Um, I have a private practice and I do it a little bit differently. I'm inside the system, but I know my patients really well. And there are certain things I can do over the phone. There are certain things that they send me a picture, I know exactly what's going on. But then at the same time, if I feel like patient needs to be touched, seen, and I need to listen to them, they need to come in. And going back to the, going to 100% virtual, because uh, we're trying to protect the staff 
it's kind of counterintuitive. And that's why um, when the, I always call it a mess, when the whole thing started, uh, the reason people always say I knew it from the beginning and I always call a lie. I always tell them, no, no one knew this from the beginning. Some of us start having inclinations of something wrong early on, but no one knew it from the beginning. That's number one. But for someone like me, and if you talk to people from especially Eastern European countries or people who lived under communism, we recognize red flags. And uh, I was speaking with, I used to talk to one of my friends every single night because I was still doing some extra work in urgent care. And I would come home really like anxious and I'm not an anxious person I'm high wired but I'm not anxious so she goes to me one night she's like have you having a flashback the reason why is because it was easy to recognize the propaganda the fear tactics that were deployed on the world and um, the thing that never made sense to me as a physician as a first responder um, you know I know in UK you guys have your own first responders that we went into medicine for this, right? I went into medicine if there is a, a pandemic, uh, if there is a disaster, you go in with the cost to your life. But for them to say to us, stand back, let the patient stay at home, struggle, and then if they can't breathe, tell them to go to the hospital, was probably one of the biggest red flags I had because you cannot take care of something like this over the phone or over video. These are the type of patients you need to see and you need to touch them. The reason I love osteopathic approach to allopathic medicine is because uh, when I did rotations at the University of Miami, and that's like one of the best medical schools with MDs, um, all of my, uh, and, and I'm not exaggerating, truly all of the uh, specialists that I rotated with always gave me very high marks and, and um, let me be a part of the lead on the team. Because the first thing I did is sat on the patient's bed and touched their hands while they're telling me what's wrong with them. I never ordered anything unless I actually talked to them, touched them and examined them, where the other counterparts in the allopathic world wouldn't necessarily even see the patient. They would just look at the chart and say, hey, they get chest x-rays, CBC, this, this, this and that. and um, trying to do what we're allowing actually NHS to still do things like this over the Zoom, I think it's irresponsible. And uh, NHS leaders, administrators, government, whoever, you know, I know you guys pay taxes for your healthcare. Those people need to be accountable to what they're doing because there is no need whatsoever to still see patients over Zoom. I think that um, you're being kind because over Zoom um, is an indication that there's some kind of video involved. I think it, it telephone. I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't even think that um, the majority of people are being able to be seen. And I'm not sure now. It just seems that there's many GPs that don't want to go back into the clinic anymore, and um, they've had a taste of being able to do things differently. And it, it is, it is incredible to me because if you've had a calling in, you know, to be helping heal people. I don't understand how you can turn your back on that and think that a phone call is going to do. But you've touched on two of the big reasons why I've asked you to join me particularly um, today. Because in August, uh, I always like to do a series that I call the August Acceleration Series. And I call it that because if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, 
many people um you're you're in the depths of winter and that is always a time to reflect and to take a bit of time it's a little bit more internal before you start to come back out into summer if you're in the northern hemisphere it is um, the summer holidays and again people take stock of their lives they take a bit of time um, we also for anybody that's interested in in uh, in that we have we have a, a huge portal that opens um, the Lionsgate portal on the 8th of the 8th and whether you are attuned to that not attuned to it we're all still affected by that and so um, in this time in August I'd like to do something a bit thought-provoking through A&H to help people in that place and this this year's one I'm calling the um, uh, conscious coherence series because coherence is all about finding balance and if we don't find balance within we can't create it externally and your background in coming through that communist regime where you're not really allowed to develop as an individual with all your dreams and desires and everything as you said you're just funneled down a channel in a lot of respects the parity with what we've gone through that's what they're trying to do with everyone now is funnel everyone down um you know a channel and suddenly no one's an individual anymore and all of that freedom and the hopes and the dreams and our kind of ability to co-create and the life that we wanted so I know that you've got wisdom to share that's going to help people to reclaim some of those boundaries. And then it's also this other side of, you know, the fact that you you are a conventional physician, even if you have all of that other side, you still chose to step out and speak out. And I know it's been uncomfortable. So what um, did you did you uh, did you step out early on? easily did you war with yourself was it was it a was it an absolute no-go you weren't going to be able to stay silent i mean how did the uh, global COVID summit come about can you can you talk us through that so actually um i always led from behind um you know i was involved from the beginning i know a lot of people in global COVID summit uh richard urso is the you know uh, the man behind most of it, uh, Robert Malone, Brian Cole, Peter McCullough, all these big guys. And I knew of them. I knew them from meetings, but I wasn't necessarily involved with them for, for a while until um, one day I just kind of naturally came about that I started speaking with them. Um, and it took me a while to find my voice because I have a lot of, I, I, I like to say I wear a lot of hats. I can speak about different things, but I never felt like I truly owned any of them. In a sense, I haven't claimed any of them myself. Um, until um, in February of this year, uh, the Department of Homeland Security came with a bulletin. Um, it was like a bulletin from their office saying that anyone who speaks out against COVID or elections would be considered terrorists. So everyone who speaks out against governmental agencies, uh, policies would be considered terrorists. And that was a few days before we were actually going to go to Phoenix to speak at uh, one of our summits where we all kind of give our stories or um, data on what's going on so people can stay informed. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I actually... I'm from Mediterranean, so my emotions can be very 
volatile. So, uh, I know I'm very temperamental at times. You're Sorry, great. I went through this like... You have all that passion going on. <laughs> I know, you know. So, I went through this like funk. I was like totally, I wouldn't say depressed, but I was like really down. Because the, only, the thoughts that were going to my mind is like, and I'm very dramatic, just everyone knows. I'm totally <laughs> dramatic, I think, in these like you know, <laughs> scenarios in my head. I'm like, I'm gonna go to Phoenix and they're gonna be like, uh, okay, so the department, DHS, the part DHS agents in the audience, FBI agents, and they're gonna arrest me and I'm gonna go to jail. You know, I'm like, the whole, I had the whole scenario in my head printed out. So the funny thing is, um, I was really hit hard with that because uh, I felt that, um, I truly know that I've been blessed. I, you know, for someone who grew up in Yugoslavia and communism to actually be a physician in the United States and uh, know these amazing people. I've even met one of the presidents and things like that. So I know I've, I've led a very blessed life. All of a sudden to go from this point where I finally had my voice, I finally had my freedom, and I take freedom seriously to be considered a terrorist by my own country um the only thing that like the thing that kept on circling in my head was like i wasn't born free and i'm not gonna and now i'm gonna die not free so like i said i'm very very dramatic i'll share with you guys what i do when i'm dramatically obsessed with something i write so i wrote this poem and i can read a little bit of it i'm trying to find it on my phone the poem is called grief because I truly grieved for what happened. And I truly grieved, grieved that um, my country would consider me um, a criminal for my opinion. It's my, you know, it's based on my life experiences. It's based on my training. And I read data differently than maybe the governmental agencies, like who's right or wrong, you guys can decide. But like, it's my opinion, and this is a free country. So the poem goes, what do you do when you feel like you died? Your heart is beating, your mind is running, your blood is flowing, but your soul was ripped apart and your dreams have died. You feel like the world has turned dark. You feel lost and sad. You feel broken and mad. You feel shipwrecked and alone. You feel empty and black. Breathe. Take a breath and pause. It's okay to cry. It's okay to wallow and feel down. It's okay to sleep and not think. It's okay. Breathe, feel, don't think. Start looking around at new life. Start seeing the good, the hope, the love. The soul never left. It just fell apart for a while. And now with the new dawn, your soul is awake, shining bright. And with each new every and every day, your soul will show you the way. Breathe, feel, hope, love. Your soul shines bright. So I wrote that. That's so beautiful. Thank <laughs> you. Like I said, I can be dramatic. Uh, it yeah, took me probably about 10 minutes to write it, you know, but putting it on the paper and acknowledging the sorrow I felt and the grief I felt kind of let me, allowed me to let it go. And by doing that, you know, uh, before I did that, I was kind of considering not going to Phoenix to speak out because, like I said, I'm very dramatic and I can see like FBI raids and, you know, guns and all that. 
but after writing this poem it I, it's kind of like I let it go and I said you know there's really not a way for someone like me I know exactly what freedom is what is at stake and um it was kind of affirmation of uh, what I've been doing after that moment, but it gave me renewed strength to do it. That's um, that that is amazing. But you 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 know what you talk about is the process you go through of release, of um, feeling the fear, letting it move through you, letting your soul's breath move through you and being able to come back into balance. And I mean, that is the complete essence of what I have intended to, to, to want to talk about and, um, and offer the concept of, of this conscious coherence, because when we come home to ourselves, we're so conditioned to look for balance externally and not internally, and yet, and yet everything comes from us internally and um and to uh, and i and i know you write and i know because you've got that fiery passionate side of you 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 let your emotions flare and i think that you know i'm not i didn't grow up in the uk and i do wish that some of the the people from the united kingdom would allow that you know those emotions to to flare and that passion to go this kind of stiff upper lip that happens over here is kind of the most toxic thing that could happen because <laughs> release only happens when you get it out but um, yes. you know we've uh, we've also um just come back from brazil and you know one of the most profound uh things that happened in the whole of brazil was feeling the emotion come out of um, Dr. Pierre Corey, just in the way you described when he was so emotional on stage as well, saying he went to bed as a medical doctor and he woke up as a national terrorist. And I think that um, there are, you know, we all listen to you all speaking out. We watch the summits, we gain from your wisdom and your knowledge. And I, and I just want people to appreciate what you are putting at risk, how much you've all given up. Um, I'm going to mention here that you've got five kids, you know, so not only are you an unbelievably busy doctor, but you're also raising um, five of our future generation. And, and so I just want to put that out there, that finding that balance within yourself and doing it anyway, you know, there's a, there's a lot at stake. You know, people always say like, oh, I'm impressed with everything that you do. You are so amazing and all that. Sure, like I'm a human being. It's kind of nice for people to hear people acknowledge what I'm doing. But honestly, um, there really is no choice but to do what, what I'm doing and what most people are doing. I'm not the only one. We all are putting a lot on the line. And, and honestly, I'm kind of like, I'm very big on... Um, uh, accountability and uh you know for those who are watching this you have to realize there comes a time in your life that uh there's nothing more important than freedom uh you know sometimes i, I can be very wise <laughs> i realized in past few years i've grown as a human being a lot and i'll, I'll sometimes like say something and i'm like that was so smart where did that come from <laughs> but the point of that the point I'm trying to say is like, if you really think about it, without freedom, there's really no life. So, you know, Pierre saying that in Brazil kind of made me chuckle because someone like me has known that for a very long time. 
and Americans and uh, people in UK and uh, all these, uh, even Canada and Australia, all these like Western countries where we enjoy a great life. Most people have not been challenged. You know, people talk about vaccines, uh, about treatments, and I always, I, I always go back to one thing that everyone has to realize. It's not about the vaccine. It's not about mRNA. It's not about spike protein. It's not, it's not about any of that. It's about the mandate. If a country that you live in is going to mandate for you to actually get a product that you're not comfortable with, but get something totally new so that you can actually uh, provide food for your family, you are not free. And that's what people don't realize. They get caught up in all, all of this noise around us and there is so much noise and so much darkness, but it goes back to that initial principle. When the pandemic happened around the world, we have given up our freedom away willingly. We've done it. They didn't take it from us. We gave it away. Yes. It's going to be very hard to reclaim. The way we gave it away is they said, well, this is happening. You have to stay home. You have to stay safe. And then they said, now you have to be six feet apart. Now you have to wear a mask. Now you have to wear two masks. Now you have to get this product so that you can actually provide for your family. Now you have to, um, you know, next is going to be a digital idea, whatever it is. So every step along the way, we have willingly, and, uh, you know, might, you might think, well, I didn't do it consciously. Well, you've done it. On whichever level you've done it, you have given them this power. And the only way we take away the power that we have willingly given away is to say, this is enough. Mm. I've trusted you. I gave you uh, everything that I could in this, you know, uh, way of safety or whatever they wanted to do with us, but I've had enough and now I'm taking my power back. The only way we get out of this is if we take our power back because we have given it away. It's kind of like being, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge on superheroes, currently like Avengers, although the last Thor movie is horrible in my opinion. But if you think about Superman, right? Superman, sure, Kryptonite was was uh, um, you know his downfall, but he has allowed and given the powers away. And it's same thing with us. We have given our powers away, and when Superman woke up and reclaimed that power, he became back to who he was. That's what we have to do. We all have to say. I'm taking my power back, whichever way it is. And it's scary as hell. And there are days when um, I'm ready to collapse. But what gives me strength, obviously, is my children, because I'm doing this for them. And also connections. Like you and I did not know each other less than a year ago. Like I think we've been friends for um, maybe six to nine months now. It feels like a lifetime. Because that's what it is. It's a lifetime. You cannot find these souls that you recognize right away. So as much as we have lost, we have gained, but now we say enough. So that's always been my feeling is that freedom is a state of mind first. And, mm -hmm. um, and once you actually make that choice and you realize you're a sovereign being, there is, there is nothing that can ever take that place. And I think that I, I'm so totally aware that, you know, some of the most complex and advanced and intricate behavioral science is being used against people um, in these last few years. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of people 
their their emotional um, strength and their emotional intelligence just has not been up to to dealing with that onslaught really. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, David Sharalambas as well, it's one of the reasons why we're running an event with him on the 24th of September, all on behavior and communication magic to just allow people to have a bit more knowledge so that they can find the headspace to stay free. But um, one of the really important points you raise is obviously you're doing this for your children. And I know that you've talked quite a bit and you've um, represented uh, many of us um, at, in the FDA hearings um, to do with children's vaccination. Can you share with us um, some of your thoughts and feelings and concerns about the heightened risk that, that children are up for? Well, first of all, children have been exposed to coronaviruses most of their lives. And uh, we do know that there is some cross-reactivity with antibodies that they make. So when they do get COVID, um, my personal and professional experience has been that children clear it pretty fast. Um, they develop a really good immune system, and there are over 150 studies. You can go on brownstone.org, Paul Alexander, put them all together, and uh, we keep on adding to them um, that natural immunity is superior to any type of immunity you could get with the vaccine. Now, when you look at the vaccines themselves, even if you're not a scientist, uh, you can just go into different pharmacovigilance data. So for UK, it's yellow card. For Americans, it's VAERS. And then uh, Europe has UDAR vigilance and WHO has VG access. And every country has some kind of version of that. We know in the United States that uh, VAERS is underreported. I think I asked Jessica Rose, and I think she said by 11 times, um, or eight, but let's say it's 10, let's say it's five, you know, but it's underreported and it's underreported by 10 times or more. Uh, if you ask actually Stephen Kirsch is even more than that. So you have this data that's underreported, but even if you just look at the data that's reported, there is um, 3.5 million adverse events. And right now we are 29,000 deaths that were directly correlated to the vaccines, all of them. So to give something to a child who, by the way, doesn't need it because they already have immune system. And even according to our CDC in February of this year, and that was six months ago, uh, almost in February of this year, 72.4% of the kids had uh, COVID and have antibodies. And now it's probably up to 90% of kids that had COVID and they have antibodies. You're giving them a product that's not safe and effective you're doing all risk and no benefit. It's not um, clinically indicated. It's medically unnecessary. So you're doing all risk and no benefit. What do we know about this? If you look again at bears, we have uh, increased myocarditis, especially in adolescents, teenagers, boys tend to be the most. There's a great Hong Kong study that showed that increased myocarditis at that age. Um, we have data that shows that lipid nanoparticle uh, accumulates in the ovaries at the greatest percentages. And then we had recent studies by which some people were uh, actually censored on Twitter that showed that semen production goes down. I was actually, and I don't mean this in a bad way, and I'm sorry, I hope that uh, guys who are listening to this forgive me for saying this. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I'm a little bit controversial at times. But actually, that was good for it to come out because 
when you talk about fertility and you talk about ovaries, everyone kind of doesn't think about that. It's like, oh, ovaries, what happens there? We don't know. But now we're talking about male fertility. And um, so that study showing that there is decrease in semen production actually created a lot of waves and woke up a lot of people. Because, uh, you know, I, I do interviews often enough and people will ask me, what is the agenda? Why are they doing this? I don't know. And I don't want to say that I know because I don't know. I haven't had a meeting with Paul Schwab and those people yet. I hopefully I never will. So I don't know what the agenda is. But anyone with intelligence will say, well, if they if it's affecting fertility, what does that mean for humanity? And now you have the data coming from Taiwan and from Hungary and from different places that is showing a decrease in live births. Mm. So you have to start asking yourself, what does this mean to our children? And you know, I always like to tell a story. And uh, one of the things I was thinking, you know, I'm a mom now, but eventually, hopefully 20 years from now and not before, <laughs> I'll be a grandma. <laughs> and I don't want my children to have children early. But yes. hopefully I'll be a grandma sometimes in my lifetime. What does that mean for my daughter and my son? Will they be able to have children if they want to have children? I don't know, but those are the questions as parents that we have to ask. And I think as well is just to remind everybody that um, whilst sperm is manufactured continually, um, exactly, we, we come in with a certain amount of eggs, and that's it. It's it's that's finite. It. That's it. And that's so it. you yeah. you mess with that store, and you're not going to be making any more. So I it's, agree. It's it's profound, and I and I know from the work that that we've done, and what you know, the studies that Rob looked into, we now know that they knew all along, even from their own trials in the beginning, that the um, that the uh, spike protein traveled to the ovaries. So it's um, I know it's 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 a very very serious issue. Apart from the myocarditis and all the other things that are happening, um, the the fertility and for any of our um, listeners who caught my interview last week with Rain uh, Trozzi looking at uh, his organization over to the youth, we talked a lot about the passing of batons and the passing of scepters. And although I don't like to think of myself in the old guard territory, um, I kind of am now. And <laughs> a bit... I'm going to be 50 next year. I'm going to need counseling that year. You're going to have to like, really, like call me every so often and say, are you okay? I'm not I teasing. Think, uh, I don't really care about the age. I think we need a big party in Croatia to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. Yes. But, um, but we actually, if we want to pass the baton to the young people, we need them to be there healthy, fit and and what happens if we suddenly, you know, autism rates are going through the roof. Now we've got myocarditis, now we've got all these other things, then we've got fertility. We are in a situation, aren't we, Kat, where our children are not going to outlive us. And I think it's the, is it the first time in history that this has ever happened? I think um, there has been a war on our children. Honestly, that's, I, I call it the war on our children between the education system, between the propaganda, between um, even the vaccine now and things like that. Um, I can tell you that the world they're gonna inherit is not the world I want them to have. And um, it's really a job 
for parents and for all of us to step up and start questioning some of these things. You know, um, the whole war on identity, on um, trying to fit in, uh, they already are confused. It's very hard in your adolescent years to really truly know who you are and not to be bombarded from uh, media, propaganda, from friends, you know, um, of who you are. Are you this gender? Are you that gender? Are you middle? What, whatever. It's like, it's been a very difficult and this is a difficult time for our children. And I think it really, we need to kind of, um, I go back, I'm huge on accountability, transparency and stuff like that. We need to really find our own identity as parents first. Yes. And then, uh, and then allow our children to find their own and, and to help them along the way and take responsibility. We have allowed the state to educate and to, um, raise our children. And I, I know it's hard. I'm busy. Um, you know, I, uh, I have a full practice. I travel all over the world, but I always have people in place. If I'm not there, there's someone to be there for them. And, um, we need to start reclaiming really our, uh, our lives. And it comes down to what I said before. You have to take your power back mm. and say, uh, you know, I've given you a chance and you've done a crappy job and now it's my turn. It's, um, it, it, it's so true. It just, it comes from within. And when we, when we take our power back, we can't help but create a different future. And I think that's also mm -hmm. the message I want to leave people with is that we are very, very powerful creation beings and our thoughts, uh, and our words, um, is how we manifest. And so we all get together from a very balanced, conscious, present place. We get to, we get to create. So Kat, before we, uh, before we leave each other today, um, can you just leave us with some words of inspiration for other allopathic medical doctors who are feeling that calling within that actually the path they're on, they want to make a shift. Is it possible? Are they going to have a safe landing? You know how um i mean it's a it's i i really understand particularly in the uk with the nhs making that leap must feel like jumping off a cliff and not being able to see whether there's anything underneath you so um it is a tough world professionally but to give everyone an idea i'm a president of a medical association here and it's a very traditional type of a and then I'm also an outspoken physician for freedom and things like that. And it's it's a it's sometimes at times it's a difficult road, and I have to be very careful how I walk through that path. But it can be done because if you actually reclaim um, who you are and and kind of uh, let your heart speak more than your mind more than the words uh, it just really uh, people can feel that people can feel where you're coming from and uh, you know um, there are times that um, I question some of my allopathic training uh, for me it's a little bit easier because I really truly naturally feel the osteopathic and osteopathy mind plus you know being born in Mediterranean uh, we really are connected to the earth 
to the sea and uh, in general. So it, it does come a little bit more natural to me. But there are still times where I question, you know, something and people will say, oh, you have to do this. And I'm like, no, we have medication for that. Why would I do that? So, you know, there are times where um, you have to, you have to decide, is, is this the road that you, you're willing to go on or is it the time to change lanes? And for me, um, I know that the only way we can truly reclaim who we are is by reclaiming medicine, going back to our oath. You know, there are, uh, there are hospitals here and programs here who will actually refuse to explain to a patient who doesn't have vaccine. Now, even I mean, if you believe in vaccines, oh not, yeah, it's not, it's not ethical. <laughs> oh, I know exactly, and that's my point. It's like when have we, as a profession, become judges of uh, you know what's going to happen and how people have to lead their lives? And I think doctors have to kind of truly reclaim their their oath, as you know. Like I I wrote that Hippocratic oath a while ago, and you guys published it. But I would say for everyone in medicine, just kind of take a few minutes, read the oath, whichever oath you like. If you like mine, you can read mine. And kind of just truly feel those words and um, and start realizing that it's not about us. You know, it's not about me being a doctor. It's about people that I'm trying to help. And if you let them be the actual um, captain of their ship and you're just there to be a a teammate and, and put the sails up when they tell you to put the sails up or, or do stuff. It, it, it changes the balance of a relationship and actually allows them to uh, claim their life and to actually participate in their own health. And you'll see that like half of the time, honestly, it's not even medicine that I talk about. I just do common sense stuff. You know, it's sometimes they just need affirmation. They need someone to really be their cheerleader. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be cheerleaders. We're not supposed to be captains of the team. And I think once um, GPs in, in UK and uh, physicians all around the world realize that um, our job is not to command. Our job is just to stand by their side. Uh, we can make a huge difference. That's that's wonderful. And um, we we haven't had a lot of time to talk about the blueprint that um, that we developed in A&H, but you're talking our language because from the time, from 10 years ago when we devised it, we've used language like health guides and health seekers mm -hmm. rather than doctor as God or health professionals. It's, you know, it's, it's there for people to find the guide that they need for that bit of their journey. So thank you. And um, just to finish off, have we got um, anything to look forward to coming up with the global COVID summit? Is uh, anything any more in the pipeline, or is everybody on holiday? They're not on holiday because I'm the one that's doing our shit. You're cracking the whip. Uh, well, I'm a firm believer that the only way we're gonna uh, come out of this darkness is by connection and human touch. So. Um, these amazing doctors, they're all over the place. Like, you know, I have nothing to do with that. They, they go on different shows, different talks and things like that. But one thing that I have helped organize is an event we're going to have in Ireland. And uh, uh, the word for it is Cosant. Now, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's spelled C-O-S-A-I-N-T. 
and uh, the logo we're using for it is the two three circles and it's all about protection it's about reclaiming our profession and we are going to create a irish american alliance and work with our irish colleagues to empower them uh, to keep on doing what they're already doing in ireland and realizing they're not alone we're going to stand side by side with them and um truly uh, reclaim our profession and my goal is to do this all over the world so if there's an organization that would like us to come let me know and we'll be there uh but the only way we can do this is we need to do it in person i am tired of zoom i hate zoom um i i just like feeling other people's energy and seeing them smile and having dinner with them and having a drink and listening to stupid jokes and things like that because that's the only way we're going to actually reclaim humanity because what's happening they're trying to dehumanize us they're trying to make us into robots they're trying to you know i know we don't have much time but one of the reasons that i'm a firm believer that masks were introduced in our children and six feet apart and all that was compliance to make our children compliant at young age. So when they become teenagers, adults, they will never question it. Why do something? And that's what's happening now. So the way we break those chains that they have us in is to actually meet face to face and talk about it, laugh about it and say, not today, Satan, as we like to say here, <laughs> um, you know, because that's what it is. You know, they are trying to take away our power and our power is human touch. Our power is our soul's connections. Our power is us standing together and reclaiming the power. It, you are so right, and uh, and I am big on hugs. Uh, I just, yeah. I don't think you can ever hug enough, and um, and so that oxytocin release, that bond that we all are non-verbal unconscious communication that goes on it's what makes us human we're multi-dimensional and um, we are incredibly powerful beings cat i i am so grateful to you and i'm really honored because um people please know that cat does not have a huge amount of spare time in her life she's sitting there looking so calm and cool but i really know that uh, it's all backing up so um i'm i'm hugely grateful we're both, um, I feel a little bit more aligned to you than normal today because I'm speaking to you on the hottest day of the year that the UK has had in quite some time. And, and I'm so red because it's so hot here and I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm very excited because I'm going to your homeland um, for, um, for, a, for a little yes. bit this year. And you're going to my favorite place in the world, which is Split. I was born in Split. I grew up. Um, in those ruins of the Ecclesian Palace. And uh, that's one thing, you know, when I go back home, um, these Balkan countries, there might be corruption, there, the life is not that easy, but the human spirit, the love, you know, you, you walk on the streets and you hear these people just sing a cappella and you eat this amazing food that someone just prepared fresh. You realize that there is more to life then uh, gas prices, heat, yes. and all that other crap. Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's really important for us to um, stay in touch. And for anyone who um, 
needs any help or sometimes um I don't know what wants to keep in touch. You're welcome to send me an email. I always respond to all my emails and I'm very curious. So I might ask why and how, but um, it's really important for um, the humans to, um, you know, that's our superpower connection. So we just need to reclaim it. It is. And so we, you'll find all Kat's details um, in the links below the video. Kat, thank you so very much. Sending you much love um, for the rest of your day and a huge amount of gratitude and um, hope to see you very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you.